Well, good morning, everybody. Praise God. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. I'm so glad you're here. I hope you didn't come to Gospel Saving Church today, and I hope you don't go to your own church that you have wherever you go to church as a home church. I hope you didn't go there or come here to be entertained. Because that's not what the Bible or God's Word or coming to church and being with one another is all about. Being with one another, coming to church is first God, then next it's you and your relationship with God and you leading your family in God and the ways that God wants you to to lead your family, which one of those ways is being in fellowship with other brothers and sisters, being in church. But none of it is at all for entertainment. So praise God. Anyway, I'm glad you're here. If this is your first time listening to me, hello, I'm Pastor Ed Spagnoli. I come to you from McKinney, Texas. This is Gospel Saving Church, one of God's true churches of these last days, and this is our weekly broadcast of truth. Well, we always start with a word of prayer. Ask God to bless our service, to bless our ears, and to bless my mouth. So if you guys would please join me. Lord, thank you so much for bringing us here. Thank you so much, Lord God, for giving us a new day. Lord, there's, according to statistics, and I don't know the exact numbers, but there's lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of people, Lord God, that didn't get to wake up today or died sometime overnight. It's crazy numbers, Lord, as far as how many people actually die each and every day. So, Lord, I know that those that are listening to this message, if they're listening, Lord, then they're alive. And, Lord, we thank you because we're alive that we got another day. Now, Lord, may, if we're yours, Lord, may we live to glorify you and live for you and have a relationship with you, which is why you created us, why you, why, one of the reasons why we're saved. And Lord, if we're not yours, Lord, if there's any out there that are not yours, Lord, then I do pray, Lord, they would come to start that beautiful personal relationship with you today. Lord, but we'll get to that later, Lord. We just ask you to bless our ears and bless our hearts. Help us to understand what you have to say to us today and then help us to apply it to our lives. As wisdom not applied, Lord God, is foolishness. We can know all there is to know about your word, but if we do not apply it to our lives, Lord, it is foolishness that we even know it. So we thank you and we love you and we praise you and ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. All right, we're going to be in Acts chapter 21, verses 7 through 14. The title of our sermon today, God's Blessing of Preparation and Confirmation. We're going to read Acts 21, 7 through 14. So if you want to join me, you can. If you just want to listen along, that's great too. The Bible says this. And when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Ptolemus, greeted the brethren, and stayed with them one day. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now when he heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What do you mean by weeping? And breaking my heart, for I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, the will of the Lord be done. Paul is headed for Jerusalem. 
He has established that fact over and over again. Up until this point, Paul has heard from God and Christ directly, I believe, telling him, even telling the Ephesian elders, remember, that God, by his Holy Spirit, had bound his own spirit to the absolute that Paul will indeed go to Jerusalem. Paul knows that he will be attacked and go through terrible and horrible times as he's already testified to the Ephesian elders. Remember, he said, the Holy Spirit testifies in every city that I've been in, basically, that every city that he had traveled to, that chains and tribulations awaited him or were in store for him when he got to Jerusalem. Paul knew these things. And not only had God's Holy Spirit been telling him of all the tribulations and sufferings that he was going to have to go through in Jerusalem, he also learned in last week's scripture that the, through the enemy or that the enemy of his souls or our souls had become involved. Remember, the devil was pretending to be God's Holy Spirit, telling Paul through some disciples in Tyre that God's Holy Spirit had told him not to go to Jerusalem, which again was in direct opposition to what Paul had heard God tell him personally. These, these poor Christians weren't trying to bring Paul down. They, they, weren't, they didn't intentionally go out of their ways to say, hey, Paul, don't go, don't go, don't go. Hey, we're, you know, we know we're working for the devil here, but they, but what, what <laughs> they simply didn't test the spirits to see if what they heard was really from God. And instead, Paul knew it, but he didn't listen to their words. Instead, he heard what they said and he, he didn't, he heard it, but didn't receive it. You know, there's a, there's a difference between when we hear something and when we receive it as truth. And Paul didn't receive it as truth because he knew what God had told him. And he pushed on for Jerusalem in his mission for God. Thankfully, they didn't push him, making his road of service and suffering for Jesus Christ a tougher one. Paul had a tough road of suffering ahead of him, and he knew it. But as he says in this section of scriptures, we'll read it on as we go, he loved God and Jesus Christ, his master, so much that no matter what kind of suffering he had to go through, he was willing, uh, if it meant that that's what God wanted him to do, if that's what was in store for him from God, then he was willing to go through it. Paul was an amazing man of God, one that we would do well to pattern our lives after, and one that we would do well to say, hey, the way Paul lived, I'm going to, you know, I need to focus on how I need to live my life like that. He lived all out for Jesus Christ. Today, Paul is not as fortunate as he was with the disciples of Tyre in regard to strife and opposition against his going to Jerusalem. The disciples of Tyre tell him one time, hey, this is what the Holy Spirit said. Hey, don't go to Jerusalem here. We're going to see as we go on. His uh, friends and his companions and those whom he's visiting, they adamantly and through tears and implore him and exhort him over and over and over not to go, putting a lot of pressure on Paul not to go, which makes what, what? It makes, once you know something and then somebody tries to dissuade you from it, it makes that road of hardship that you already know you're going through hardship, it makes that road harder not easier. But but anyway, I'm I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll see that all as we get to the, you know, toward the end of the sermon. Let's start reading our section of scripture for, for today and and study it out verses 7 and 8 start with them again for me. We're going to blow through 7 kind of quickly. Verse 7 and 8 says uh and when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Ptolemais, greeted the brethren and stayed there with them one day. Uh, pretty self-explanatory there. Paul and those with him leave for Tyre and head for Ptolemus, which was another coastal city just south of Tyre. They go south from where they were for, guess what? Jerusalem is south from their location. Verse 8, 
On the next day, we who were Paul's companions, that's important, I'll point that out in a second here, that may mean something. We who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. So notice there that it seems as if Paul doesn't leave with his travel companions and go to Caesarea altogether. Better said, it seems there that they all didn't leave together, Paul and his travel companions, and go to Caesarea together. We read there where Luke writes, On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea. This tells me that Paul might have stayed behind in Ptolemus for a little while. Might have. It's, it's interesting when we think about that. We're going to get to a point on that later. Uh, He might have gone with them directly, but that's not how Luke wrote verse 8. We know that Paul, because of verse 11, did end up going to Caesarea, because he's in the whole section of Scripture. Again, verse 11 tells us. But again, he might not have come there at this time. So at least Paul's travel companions have come to this new city. And once there, we read that they are welcomed into the house of one of the prominent early disciples of Christ, church, Philip the Evangelist. Remember Philip the Evangelist. He he has a little bit of a history. Luke writes there that he was one of the seven. What does that mean? Well, remember back in Acts 6, 1 through 7, the disciples there, the apostles of Christ, had a new church in Jerusalem. It was in the temple. That's where they were holding their church service, you know, showing us from the from the very beginning that God had his church held in a building with leaders, you know, with, with people that were appointed to serve the flock, people that were there to listen. Anyway, that's a whole other sermon I did called the church. Anyway, well, the Hellenists started complaining because they... They thought or they had some legitimate concerns that their widows who were kind of part of the church or being provided for by the church were being slighted their provision. And of course, the apostles wanted to keep things, you know, they didn't want people to be offended. They wanted to show love. And so what happens is, is that to rectify their situation, they didn't want to leave the work that the Lord had given them to do to lead the church to go serve tables of food because, you know, you can't lead the church and serve the tables of food, you can only do one or the other. You can only be spread so thin, right? So the apostles rectify the situation by deciding to pick seven Christian men, this is right out of the Bible, seven Christian men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And the whole church agreed because they brought it before the whole church and said, hey, you know, it's not proper that we leave from serving you by teaching you the word of God and studying the word of God and, you know, portraying it to you and, you know, giving it to you, teaching it to you. So, hey, Let's pick these seven men who are, hey, they're really strong men of God, just like us. They're just not, you know, the ones that Christ has chosen to lead the church. And the whole church agreed. So the 12 apostles picked these seven men, of which Philip was one of them, and they laid hands on them so the Holy Spirit would bless the wisdom and power to do the work. Stephen again, or I'm sorry, Philip again was one of the seven that they chose to do the work. Stephen, if you want to remember the section of Scripture kind of well, Stephen was also one of the other ones that they chose to do the work. Stephen uh, was also uh, one of the seven. Philip, I should say, was also one of the ones that witnessed Stephen's murder by the same Saul or the Paul that we have in our section of Scripture today. And he was the one, remember, helping the Jews kill Stephen. Ouch. Uh, As I was writing this part of the message, just a little bit of an aside, just something interesting that God brought to my mind or that my mind started to think about. As I was writing this part of the message, it dawned on me, if Paul wasn't intentionally with his travel companions here in verse 8, as Luke seems to write there, 
Because that's what Luke seems to write. You know, we who travel companions, right, go there. This might have been intentional that Paul stay back for a little while and come later. Why? Well, it might have been intentional to let those whom he traveled with soften Philip's heart to Saul or the new Paul that he was now and his arrival. Uh, this might have been very this might have very well been the first time Philip and Saul or Paul are meeting after Philip witnesses Saul's murder or helping in the murder of Stephen. I actually did the little the little Bible study on it. It took me just maybe five minutes. And uh, Philip and Paul's or Saul's name are not together except for when Saul helped murder Stephen and now. So I don't know. It's just an interesting thing to think about. Maybe Paul hung back for a little while just so the disciple, his travel companions could come there and be like, hey, no, you know, Hey, all those rumors that you're hearing about how Saul came to Paul, hey, they're really true. The Bible doesn't record it, but it is interesting that we see that verse 8, that they, they travel companions go there separately, it seems, and then Paul then is there in verse 11, and then this is Paul or yeah, Paul and Philip's first time meeting after he was Saul and helped kill Stephen. And anyway, I think that was, uh, this, this first meeting was probably very interesting. And anyway, here verse 8, in verse 7, at least the travel companions of Paul are in Caesarea with Philip the evangelist in his home. And verse 7 tells us that they stayed with him, meaning that he opened up his home to them. That's the backdrop of where we are in this account. Now, Luke tells us something that seems completely unrelated to Paul's journey and mission, but he feels the need to tell us anyway, which is okay. I think God's going to teach us something anyway about it. Verse 9. Now this man, speaking of Philip, had four virgin daughters who prophesied. Why do I say that the info is unrelated to Paul's journey and mission? Because it's great that these ladies prophesied, or forgotten all, but we never read that they prophesy anything to Paul for his journey. Luke was just recording the facts. I don't blame him for that. I do think that it is interesting that Philip, number one, had four virgin daughters who prophesied, which does show me that God chose to speak through people as prophets back in those days. Some people say, no, that doesn't happen anymore, but yet that's what we see in the Bible, and things haven't changed. God's still God, and people are still people, so I don't see why he would change now. People can still be prophets, because the Bible says that there's more prophets past the prophets of the Old Testament. And so I thought it was pretty cool also that some of those prophets that he chose were here were, were for virgin women. You know, women are so sometimes not looked upon as very as highly in some sects of Christianity as a, as in the early church women had their tough bringings, you know, they had their tough goings because of course in the Old Testament under the old covenant and in, in the old time traditional ways women really as in early in America women didn't really have a high stature. Jesus did more I heard one time for for women than any civil right movement or any movement that's ever been done cuz actually he 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 treated women and men alike. He didn't dissuade, he didn't, you know, put women aside or hold men above women. So anyway, praise God for that. Now, even though there being prophetesses is an unrelated idea to Paul's journey and mission, we can still talk about them for a minute. Does the fact that they didn't say anything to Paul about his journey mean that, these, that, that women as a whole can't speak in any kind of godly congregation? That's what some people think. Women are supposed to stay silent anytime there's a church or a godly congregation. Women are supposed to be silent. Well, that's not what the Bible says 
So the answer is absolutely not. The scriptures are clear. God spoke through Paul, 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12. Let a woman learn and learn in silence with all submission. Verse 12, and I, and I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, but to be in silence. God never said that women are never supposed to speak in church. He just said that they weren't supposed to be pastors or leaders over men in God's church. Women can even be leaders over other women in the church and run women's ministries in the church. The Bible just simply says, don't let a woman have authority over a man. Anyway, some say females aren't supposed to be, they're supposed to be silent completely in church or any kind of godly setting, and that is not biblical. Not biblical at all. In verse 12, we'll read this verse later, but I saw it and I thought about it. God kind of showed me something here. If women were supposed to be silent in all godly settings or in a godly type church thing, look to verse 12. We're going to read it again as part of the whole service, as part of the whole main point of the message here today. But verse 12 says this. Now, when we heard these things, and this is be after the, some prophet, and he prophesied to Paul about this thing. Now, when we heard these things, both we meaning this is Luke's writing this, we being Paul's travel companions, and those from that place, meaning who? Philip, his four daughters, anybody else that Philip had at the house. We and those from that place pleaded with him not to go to Jerusalem. You see, they did speak in the setting of a godly setting there, and they even spoke to Paul. They weren't pretending to be Paul's leaders or the pastor over Paul. They were able to speak to Paul, though. And you see, if women were supposed to be silent in all godly settings, they wouldn't have been able to say anything, and that verse just wouldn't exist. So anyway, garbage idea. Women are, again, are, are they're allowed to speak. <laughs> we want them to speak. They got good input. They're just not supposed to be leaders and pastors over men, that's what the Bible says. Anyway, moving on, look at what Luke says next. Look at verse 10. And as we stayed many days, so they were there for quite a while. We don't know how many days, but we know many days, uh, you know, that could have been several weeks, several months. We just don't know. As we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Enter Agabus, whom Luke tells us here, another one, a prophet, just like the daughters of Philip, right? And Luke tells us that he comes from Judea. Judea is the whole area or region that Jerusalem was a part of. He comes from the area that Paul is about to go to. Jerusalem's not far from Caesarea. That's where they are now, Caesarea. Just about 80 miles. Now, now we don't have a specific purpose mentioned here for Agabus' coming to Philip's house. But I think he specifically came to be a mouthpiece for God to give him some good news. Now, you may be looking at me going, oh, Pastor Ed, we just read the whole section. It doesn't seem like Agabus gives Paul good news. But you'll see. You'll see. I'll show you. I'll show you. It's a little gold nugget that God has for us in the Scripture today. What happens when this fellow Agabus the prophet comes to town and gathers with Philip, his daughters, and Paul, and those with him? Verse 11. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns his belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Remember in Acts 20, again, Paul had previously told the Ephesian elders that the Holy Spirit was telling him in every city, that would be in every city that he was visiting, that in Jerusalem, chains and tribulations awaited him. And here we have Agabus, a messenger sent there from God to speak to Paul, confirming 
this fact to him again. Now, I don't remember reading earlier, and I've been through this section a lot of times. It doesn't seem that God gives Paul the details of the chains and tribulations uh, as he does here. Here, Agabus tells him, hey, you're going to be bound. Basically, you're going to be arrested, and the Jews are going to have you arrested, and then they're going to hand you over to the Gentiles, which is exactly what we'll read. That's exactly what happens. It just, the Jews start to attack him. He gets arrested. Basically, because of the Jews attacking him, he gets handed over to the Gentiles, so that's just exactly what happened. Now, I don't know. Again, doesn't seem like God told Paul exactly what was going to happen to him, but here he does. He kind of gives him some more details. So I do understand that God has been telling Paul over and over here by his Holy Spirit that these things were going to happen to him in Jerusalem. But why do you think, because I had to do some, I had to kind of think on this. Why do you think that God thought it was necessary to tell Paul of these terrible things that were going to happen to him so many times? I mean, once would be enough. Uh, maybe somebody could say, well, I mean, if he, if he just keeps telling him, he could just rubbing it in. I don't think so. I, I personally think that God was preparing uh, Paul for the reality of exactly just how bad it was going to be for him in Jerusalem. God wanted Paul to be prepared for the hard times as the things that Paul was going to go through were going to be pretty bad. Plus, this kind of was God's way with Paul. If you remember when Paul first got saved, he, got, you know, he became blind. God, Christ blinded him. His servants led him into Jerusalem. And, and God told a certain prophet that was there, a certain man of God, Ananias. And he said, hey, go speak to him. And, uh, well, here's how the interaction went. Uh, how, here's how the interaction went. Acts 9, 13 through 16 to be exact. Then Ananias answered the Lord and said, I've heard many, about, I've heard many things about this man uh, for how, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And there he has authority from the chief priest to, build, or to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Verse 16 for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. This is kind of like, this was Paul's lot from the moment he got saved. This was the moments before this, he had gotten saved on the road into, into Damascus. And here God's already saying to Ananias, hey, I'm going to show him that he's, he's going to suffer for my name's sake. The Bible speaks about those that are called to suffer for God's name, for Christ's name. And Paul was one of them. Of Saul's, Paul's walk with Jesus Christ, God spoke from the very beginning again that he was going to show Paul how much he was going to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. Next to Paul, or next to Jesus Christ, Paul probably suffered the longest and most severe of all Christ's disciples and apostles, which leads to my guess as to why God felt the need to tell Paul the terrible trials that were ahead of him time and time again by his Holy Spirit. He wanted to prepare him for what was coming. Does God always warn Christ's servants to prepare them of their upcoming trials? I, I think to some degree he does. I, I know for myself uh, that he did. There was a time in my life that actually we're kind of still going through, but there was a time in my life about seven or eight years ago where I was, I was at the top of the game of, of Christianity and ministry in this one church and everything was wonderful and and getting more wonderful every day and I 
I remember one day I came and sat in my car and I was uh, so ecstatic about the news that God had just seemed to open the floodgates on some more ministry opportunities. And back in those days, it was evangelism. It wasn't from the pulpit. It was evangelism, street evangelism. And I remember sitting in my car after I got out of that church and I heard these words and I know they were from God because what followed is absolutely what happened. He said, the rains are coming. The rains are coming. I thought that was a good thing. I heard the rains are coming. Wait, well, rains, man. It's you know, but 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 rains when it's already had enough. When you've already had enough rain, when it's already been an abundant rainfall, too much rain is not necessarily a good thing. Anyway, the kind of earth fell out from underneath my feet, and and that rain that was coming meant God was kind of sending me on like a Job time. He was kind of sending me on a Joseph time, kind of how Joseph's brothers did to him, and kind of how the Lord allowed Job to attack or allowed Satan to attack Job, and that's kind of the time that uh, I, I started back about seven or eight years ago, kind of time that we're still going through. He, God warned me, the rain's coming. Uh, <laughs> with me, uh, he didn't warn me as much as he did with Paul, but I don't think that my time of suffering and trial was anywhere near as bad as Paul's were, even though I could say my time of suffering and my time of trial is really bad. I still wouldn't call it as bad as Paul's because I actually get to stay with my family and I haven't been arrested and taken to a prison and taken off to a foreign land where I don't know anybody. And I'm, you know, so I'm, I don't, I count myself a little bit more fortunate than Paul. I, I figure the reason why I didn't get warned as much as Paul is common sense. This kind of whole theme throughout the Bible, the size of the hardship determines the size of the preparation needed to go through that hardship. It's common sense, right? Same as we kind of know this one. The greater the sacrifice, the greater the reward. Yeah, it's, that these are our sayings that we've come up with, and there's a reason why people come up with them, because they're, you know, they're true. The harder and more difficult of a time God is going to allow Christ's servants to suffer, the more he prepares them like he did with Paul, even over and over and over again, as he traveled through each city on his way there. Now, saying that, I do believe also that the same is good for God in reverse, Right, meaning if God's going to bless the servants of His or uh, servants of His in Christ, He's going to give them some heads up as well. Uh, example: Remember Abraham. God gave him a promise, and he kept, even though the promise God gave him was a promise of waiting, a uh, waiting where he suffered a lot because he waited and he didn't have a kid, and he's like, yeah, "I need an heir, and uh, I, I'm I'm rich, and I got all this stuff, but I got nobody to give it to yet." But hey, here's my promise: It's a promise of good things to come. David, remember, uh, David had to go through a lot of trials and a lot of bad roads and a lot of sufferings from Saul, but God had told David, you're going to be king. So God had told him, hey, good things are going to happen. You know, just, hey, do you trust me kind of thing? And that's kind of what it falls out to. You know, myself, shortly after I learned that God was placing me in the Job time of life, he sent me a word by a man of God saying, I'm not done with you. They're just so simple words. I'm not done with you. I'm just getting started. That was a promise to me. God kind of gave me a promise with the promise of, hey, here's the time that's coming. The rain's coming. It's going to be hard, which I figured out. But then after that, he also told me, hey, don't worry. I'm not done with you yet. I'm just getting started, which means that there's a promise of some restoration for me coming. So God is good on both ends. God knows uh, how to, to do the blessing of preparation and confirmation. He knows how to prepare Christ's servants for trouble and suffering, as well as he knows how to give us the preparation for the hope we need to keep going as well. Uh, praise God. Hence the title of the sermon, by the way. That is why it, this message from Agabus 
was good for Paul. It gave him a blessing of preparation and confirmation for what he was about to go through. Now look at God's message from Agabus to Paul. Uh, or that, that's what I was just saying. I, I, I do view God's message from Agabus to Paul as a blessing of preparation, as again I've already mentioned, hence the title. Uh, and I do believe that Paul thought of Agabus' message as getting him prepared but did those with Paul see Agabus' message as a blessing? As I've titled his message to Paul in the sermon here. Look at verse 12. Now when we, now Luke's right in front first person here, him and the group that he was with, that were with Paul. Now when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go to Jerusalem. Out of their hearts of love, they do not see Agabus' preparation message to Paul as a blessing. But rather, they are definitely hurt at the fact that some really bad things are going to happen to Paul. They hear of the terrible things that are going to happen to Paul, and they try to stop him from going to Jerusalem by pleading with him not to go, which was them putting exceeding pressure on him not to go. What they do here is all of the above, heartwarming, loving, kind. It's all of those things that they're touched with grief over what's going to happen to Paul and, and, and them trying to dissuade him out of their love for him from going to Jerusalem. But believe it or not, it's also a terrible thing that they were doing here with Paul. Notice that they just didn't try gingerly to stop Paul from going, uh, like the disciples of Tyre. Remember, I mentioned it earlier in the sermon. They only told him one time. These people that were with Paul, Luke included, which would have been his travel companion for years now, so they had a history, they had a past. They worked a lot together. Even Luke was in on, not gingerly, but Basically, they were pleading with him not to go. That means that they tried to talk him out of going for a while. And it, this wasn't a, hey, Paul, we just, you know, we don't think you're supposed to go because, you know, it's going to be really bad. This is, they're on their knees. Verse 13 tells us, Paul says, that, we're going to read it here in a moment, but verse 13 even tells us that they were in tears. So they were, I see them on their knees grabbing his robe. Please, don't go. We love you. We, we don't want to see these bad things happen to you. Please, 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 Paul. Think think of the ministry that God has done with you. Think of all the people that God has touched you, you know, has used you to touch. And, and think of us, you know, we who've given up everything to follow you and, and travel with you and, and keep you safe and be your right hands and your left hands and to do your work, you know, to, to help you out in the ministry. Think of us. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What, what are you doing, Paul? Don't go. This, this, why, why would this be so terrible? It's because in Paul's eyes, he just received the second part of my title today. He had just received God's final confirmation that he needs to make the terrible journey, knowing for sure now. I mean, there's no doubt in Paul's mind now. This is really from God. This is what God has been telling me like for the last, now this is probably going on months now. God's been telling Paul this same message. Now, here's the thing to think about. If you think, and this is how it's kind of been for me, so I kind of can relate to Paul. And I've had a lot of confirming messages that the rain's coming and the, God's not done with me yet and he's just getting started. I've gotten a lot of confirmation through not-myself sources that have just come randomly throughout this last seven or eight-year time that's just like Agabus here, just like Paul had been receiving for these last months. 
if you, you think that God's telling you that you're going to suffer for him in Christ, but you're really not 100% sure that the suffering and tribulation is God's will for your life, it's kind of hard. It's like, oh no, uh, because tribulations and sufferings and hard times can come upon people because God wants them to repent and come back to Jesus Christ or come to Jesus Christ in the first time. So, you know, you don't necessarily know, hey, is this all this bad stuff happening to me because it's really God's will? Or is all this bad stuff happening to me because, you know, I'm in sin and, you know, God wants me to repent and, and, and come to my, you know, to, the, to, to my knees and fall out before him and say, God, I need you, Christ, I need you to come save me. You don't know, but then you see here, but then God to prepare you for what he had told you, what, you know, what you were kind of thinking it was from God for good, reaffirms it to you over and over. What happens is you become relieved to know that the the time you're in or are going to be in is really a hundred percent from God. And that is why I title the message as, as such God's blessings of prep of preparation and, you know, confirmation because it is a blessing that God gives you preparation to go through tough times. And it is a blessing that God gives you confirmation that the tough times that you're going to be going through are really from him. Because, hey, if you love Jesus Christ and if you love God, you may not love the time of suffering, but at least if you know that they're from God for good, at least you can be like, okay, Lord, you know, now I know I got a choice. I can be, you know, I can be like John the Baptist. I could, I could, you know, I could, I could ask and inquire, and then you, just like Jesus confirmed, hey, John the Baptist, no, he's in my will. Uh, but then Jesus said, blessed are those who are not offended with me, because there's two ways we can go. There's a way we can go where we get really offended with God if we, you know, if if we're not sure, or if we get mad at God that we got to go through these tough times, or we can say, you know, Lord, I I commit my soul into your hands. Lord, here I am. Hey, whatever you want for me, I love you. And, and you know what? Here, here I am. So uh, first, uh, they should not have, and, and, and foresight here, again, they were trying to stop Paul from going, uh, and, which made his road more difficult and more painful, uh, but then they, they're making him feel bad because they didn't want to lose him, which is really from their sinful, selfish flesh. So, so instead of doing those things, uh, this, this, was, this was such a bad thing that they did really. First, they should have talked to him about what Agabus said. They, they, they should have they said, hey, Paul, do you know anything about this suffering and tribulation? I mean, is this something, is this something God's been speaking to you? Or is this, you know, like, because maybe God's warning you here. Because to say, maybe if they weren't filled in on the info of all the info that God had given Paul, they, I could see easily how they might have thought, hey, maybe this is God's warning to you, Paul. Hey, don't go. Hey, don't go because these bad things are going to happen. But they didn't do anything. They, they just kind of went with, oh, no, it's bad. Plead with him not to go. No, 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 please don't go. But they should have talked to him about what Agabus said and kind of quite, hey, is this, do you know anything about this? They should have not begged and pleaded with him not to go uh, they, without examining the situation. The, the danger for these guys and gals, because of what they did, uh, and maybe you, if you find yourself in this situation, and maybe you're, you found yourself doing the same thing, is that if the, if the terrible time that's coming is from God, and God has a specific plan for that, which he does. He doesn't just do it randomly because he's a mean jerk. God may find you fighting against him 
And you don't want to do that. If you really love one of God's servants and you learn that they're going to go through a terrible time, inquire if it be from God and if it's his will for them or if it's not. And and ask for confirmation from God. Hey, God, is that something that's really from you? And if you learn it's from God, which you know then if it's from God, it's for good. You know, if it's from God for good, I should say, then be there for them as Paul's travel companion should have been for him. Don't stand in the way of God's mission and purpose for that person's life. Remember, Job, it was God's will for him for a good reason of God. We we never really know why. God doesn't really give us the why. We just know that God is good and the things that he does for his children are good. But so God allowed Job to suffer tremendously for him for good. Because all along, the whole time, he was saying that Job was my righteous servant. And even though Job's going through these things, God's calling him his righteous servant. Well, you're not going to be a righteous servant of God if you're in sin. So if God was allowing that trouble to come, up, to come upon Job for sin, he wouldn't have called him his righteous servant. So, so Job, it was God's will for him to suffer. And it was a good thing for some, some reason uh, through the assault of the devil and his so-called friends what did they do? Well, they claimed that it was from God for bad because it was all, oh, Job, you have had to have sinned. You know what? No, no bad stuff like this comes upon people unless they're in sin, and unless they're going through, you know, unless they, they've kind of given God the middle finger. And, of course, they were wrong, and God didn't have kind words for them when he showed up. So here, uh, we got to watch out ourselves, too, if we come into this situation. How does Paul deal with their misaimed, selfish love and concern for him? Verse 14. Then Paul answered, what do you mean by weeping? Remember I told you earlier, we were going to read that, that they were begging him, weeping, crying. He says, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So there we even see that they were so adamant in trying to talk Paul out of going to Jerusalem, trying to stand in the way of God's mission for Paul, that they were in tears. For he tells them again, what do you mean by weeping? They persist in trying to, to get him to stay away from Jerusalem after Agabus' news, and he tells them that they are breaking his heart. right? And hey, I'm not only willing to go to Jerusalem, but I'm also willing to die. In Jerusalem, you know, for I love the Lord Jesus, basically, and he told me to do something and I know he told me to do something and I'm going to go no matter what's going to happen to me there. He's given me this confirmation. He's given me this preparation. I'm ready. You know, he's told me it's not going to be a shock. It's not going to be a surprise. This is what's going to happen. Praise God. Here I go with a, I commit myself into the hands of the Lord. God is con- God had confirmed his path and prepared him for this path and they are now breaking his heart which means that that they were making him sorrowful about the trip that God was sending him on that God had just blessed him with the preparation and confirmation message to go the danger here for Paul and them is that breaking Paul says you're breaking my heart that that was making him remorseful Paul could have decided to turn back Paul could have decided, hey, I'm, you know what? I, I love you too. I, you know what? I, I love you guys too, and I see your concern for me. So you know what? You're right. I, it, it must not be meant for me to go. And then Paul could have turned back, and that would have been disobedience to God for the calling and mission that he had for his life. Whatever was God's will for him, that's what Paul wanted. And so his own personal safety and well-being meant nothing 
to him. Rather, he just wanted to follow the calling that Christ had given to him to go to Jerusalem, not even knowing the depths of what would happen to him there or after, even if there would be an after. Paul didn't know, hey, am I going to go to Jerusalem? They're going to bind me and do all this and hand me over to Gentiles and they're going to kill me? Didn't matter to him, but he didn't know. God in the scriptures didn't really tell us. What did those with him say and do once they saw his resolve to go? No matter what they said, look at our last verse, verse 14. So when he had not, or when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, the will of the Lord be done. What they do is they, they, they kept pleading, they kept pleading, they kept pleading. They might have even kept pleading with him after he just said, why do you break my heart? Stop weeping, please. I got to go. This is what God told me to do, and I got to do what God told me to do. Stop weeping. Knock it off. Knock it off. I got to go. There's nothing you could say or do. It's going to make me stop. So they say once, once we realize, man, no matter what we do, we're pleading with him, we're crying, we're begging him, we're on our knees. And you know what? Will the Lord be done? That means they surrendered him over to the Lord. That, that's what that means. They loved him so much and they didn't want to see anything terrible happen to him, which is understandable, but they had to let him go and they had to give him to God. They had to give him and his situation over to God. I, I, I do, though, as I was working this up, I do really find their response shocking in regard to the fact that they, uh, that they knew he loved God and heard from God. They knew that. They knew Paul was an amazing man of God, and they knew he had revelations of God, and God showed him different visions, and so on and so forth. And, and I must believe that since Paul, he had told the Ephesian elders of his trip, and how hard it was going to be, uh, that earlier, at some point, he had to have mentioned some of this stuff to his disciples, to his followers. I, I just don't get the fact that now they hear it from Agabus firsthand, maybe they, maybe they you know, this comes to me just now. When Jesus walked with his 12 apostles during his ministry, he often said a lot of things to them, you know, different things, difficult things, hard things. But then other times would come when some things he'd say it again, or they'd learn it from somebody else, or he, you know, more like he'd say it again, hey, I'm going to this, that, and the other. No, 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 Lord, you know, you can't do that, as Peter says. No, 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 Lord. And then Jesus had to turn and rebuke him. How come they didn't catch it all the times before? And I think that we as human beings may have a tendency to do this. When we hear bad news initially, it, it may, we may hear it, but it doesn't really settle into our hearts. And that may have been what happened with Paul's travel companions here and those whom he loved and those that loved him. Is they had probably had been told this kind of, you know, Hey, you know, I'm going to go. It's going to be tough travel. You know, this is what God's saying. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Anyway, oh, hey, could you pass me that bread, man? I need this up in my thing. You know, that eat. And they probably didn't really get the full meaning of what was really going to happen. While here, they're right here, center stage. Agabus shows up. They know he's a man of God, prophet of God. Wow. Oh, no. You know, so saying all that, I wish they would have just given him to God earlier instead of putting him through the emotional strain like they did. Uh, they were really dangerously acting in love and out of their flesh. I, I guess that's one of the reasons they say, though, <laughs> love is blind, right? They were truly being blinded by love to the God factor and God's purpose for Paul. Paul was a servant of the Most High God, and his spirit had been bound by God's Holy Spirit to go under the circumstances of danger and hardship, pain, suffering, and they needed to understand that and accept it and not just be blinded by their love for him.
So I do think the fact has been established that the eyes of those uh, with Paul were blinded by their love for him. And that's why they did what they did to try to stop him from going to Jerusalem. But even though their intentions were innocent in love, I think that they could have still been in some trouble with God because they were really fighting against his perfect will for Paul. If Paul had decided because of their actions to not go to Jerusalem and not to fulfill God's mission for him, I believe that the spiritual doo-doo would have truly hit the fan for both them and Paul. Christians, my word today to us would be this and kind of our thoughts for Christians here as we're getting ready to close. But Christians, we must be careful when judging the situations of others. We all make judgment calls about other people every day. And by that, I don't mean I judge people like I judge God or like God judges. What what I mean by that is we make judgment calls about people all day long. When we're on the road, we make judgment calls when looking at to switch lanes. When we're in the store, we look we we look, you know, we look to others or we look at others as we're walking around them and make judgment calls on, oh, he looks nice, or oh, that guy's treating his wife kind of mean. We all make judgment calls every day, so don't act like we don't. Anyway. Uh, and, and this example kind of would fit here in, the, in a kind of a Paul situation, in, a, in our lives situation. If we were to see someone in a really tough situation, maybe some really terrible things happening to them, uh, we must be careful that we just don't automatically judge uh, them and think that they're a wicked sinner and that maybe we treat them in this way. We're not supposed to treat them that any way different anyway, but maybe we look down on them, which is it's not right. But again, of course, unfortunately, we all do it. Job's friends did it to him. Uh, What if, like Paul's friends did to him, or if, like Job, you misjudge them? This is dangerous. This is dangerous. And the opposite is also true, actually. Uh, We must be careful that we don't look at someone that's wealthy, and they live in a nice, big, expensive house, and their their life seems to us... Wow, look at all the financial blessings that that person has. Oh, wow, look at all the, you know, the goods and the vehicles and the car and, and the boats and the houses or whatever that he has. What if they are so wrapped up around the devil's finger that he's kind of set them up with all those goodies to keep them happy so that they never realize their sinful nature and they never realize, hey, I need Jesus Christ to be saved. I have a co-worker with me at one of my jobs whose wife left him for another man. And uh, it, it's, it's really sad, and that which is evil. And, and, and of course, he didn't do any, he didn't cheat on her, he didn't commit adultery, didn't, he didn't, uh, wasn't abusive. He, they were just a married couple for 21 years, and, he, and she decided, you know, I'm, I'm out. And, and she found another guy that she was more happy with than him, which is an evil thing. I, I think we'd all agree. Yet, what happened to him is he had to get himself a job, again, as a co-worker of mine, not making that much money, and he had to struggle, end up having to sell his house and go somewhere else and not doing as financially well, but he's, he's kind of trying to follow the Lord while she has obviously turned her back completely on God, but her, she, she, said, she, she snagged herself a six-figure job in a school district. Now, what you may be, what, wait, what, what? She did evil, and, she, and that's been one of his questions to me. How is it, brother, that, you know, I, I, you know, she leaves me like this, and I have to struggle while she gets, you know, she's getting six figures. And, and I thought the same thing. Well, brother, you know, I mean, you got to understand that, you know, Jesus said the ruler of this world is coming, and that, the devil, so he rules in the hearts and in the world that we live in now. 
So you can't think, oh, if something good happens to somebody that's necessarily from God, they could be caught in sin completely and on their way to hell, and the devil could just be, again, making them so happy so that they don't realize, oh, man, I'm going to hell. And then, you know, they live out their lives in, in peace and prosperity, and then when they die, boom, they're in hell for eternity, and then it's too late. So all the good that they had is all gone. So anyway, we got to be careful. Yes, if you're, you're one of God's children... You must be very careful on your judgments of others and their situations, even their ministries, just like Paul's friends should have done with him. Jesus Christ said, John 7, 24, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. And I would say, don't judge like Paul's companions and host did with him and in his situation in Acts 21. Judge, uh, judge better. What could they have done better? What could we do better? What could we do in a good way to judge others in a godly way, in a righteous way, other than the way that they judge Paul and the way we often maybe judge people? Well, number one, they could have prayed first about what Agabus said. And then ask God, you know, can, can, I, can you get, give me some spiritual discernment here? Could this really be from you? You know, that's the first thing we should do if we see somebody in a, in, in a certain kind of situation. It may be easy to say, oh, well, they're in a situation because X, Y, Z, right? And number, number two, here's the bigger one. Here's how we kind of get the spiritual discernment. Here's how we kind of find out the truth. We examine each and every person in their situation, um, understanding, getting under the skin, you know, before, like them, instead of judging Paul right away, they should have talked to him. Hey, Paul, you know, this seems bad. You know, are you, I, I, we think this, this is God telling you not to go. You know, what do you think? Uh, what would you say? You know, do you think this is God's warning to you or this is God's, you know, is God just trying to get you ready for something tough? And then, of course, Paul would have told him, hey, in every city, remember, I've been telling you, in every city, you know, Holy Spirit's been telling me, and we could do the same thing today in regards to other people. Don't just judge by appearance. Get under the skin. Ask some questions. Uh, use righteous judgment with spiritual dis uh, discernment with others and, and you do those things by asking questions examining them and their situation like those should have done with Paul and the same way we do this with others is the same way we are supposed to examine ourselves in different areas of our walk with the Lord or a walk that we think that we have with the Lord but we don't have with the Lord or if something's happening in our lives and it's a bad thing or it's a good thing God is this really from you or am I you know is God is is Satan blessing me here cuz I'm you know cuz I'm not right with you uh, and you know I only bring this up as in the last part of my message only because it's it's a terrible burden on my heart that there's so many people in this world that are that 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 think that they're standing right with Christ and, and yet, they're not. And the Bible, Paul actually talks about examining ourselves. Uh, many believe themselves to be followers of Jesus Christ, but even Jesus Christ uh, said, he, he even acknowledges in Scripture that even though they thought they were really his, they're really not, but they thought they were. Matthew 7, 21-24, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You practice lawlessness. Well, who calls Jesus Lord? Well, atheists don't call Jesus Lord. And Muslims don't call Jesus Lord. And Buddhists don't call Jesus Lord. And agnostics don't call Jesus Lord. 
The only people that call Jesus Lord are only two categories here. People that he really is their Lord of. And number two, people that think he's their Lord. Only two. And according to what Jesus says here, he says, not everyone who says to me who calls me Lord is I'm going to let into heaven. So you can, you can be right with God and you be calling the Lord because you really love him. Or you could not be right with God and calling him Lord. And he looks at it and says, that one doesn't love me. He's not really mine. They're calling me Lord, but they don't really love me. Now, I'm not judging you who are listening to me as if you really are a true Christian or follower of Christ or if you are not. But you should know that when Jesus Christ said that many would come to him on that day, that is the day that they die and meet him. That's not the day that they're like praying and then God speaks to them in prayer one time. This is this account is, uh, Jesus, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, many will say to me, in that day. That's the day that they come and die and meet him. Because every one of us is going to die, and we're going to meet Jesus Christ when we die, and we're going to face him face to face, and we're going to meet him. And on that day, these people here in Matthew 7, 21 to 24, on that day, they think that they're his, and they thought that they were his their whole, from a, from a certain time back in their lives, they, they thought that they were his. And as they tell him this, and as they, as they tell him, oh, Lord, Lord, as they were thought, again, they were his for a long time, he informs them that they're wrong. You're not mine. You're not mine, and you know what? You, you're out of here. But sadly, it's too late at that point. It's too late. That, 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 at that point, it's, it's, they're, they're on their way to hell. And there's no sands, butts, or coconuts about it. And so I don't want that to ever be anyone that's listening to me. So I ask you that are listening to this message, uh, would you please, as Paul says, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, he says, examine yourselves as whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless, indeed, you are disqualified? You see, I, I talked to this one Christian that says that, she says that when he says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, we have not prophesied your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name. And she contests that, and I kind of, I'm on the board to agree that these people were actually doing some things for God, some mighty supernatural things. Well, in, in her effort, her, her claim is that nobody can do a supernatural thing of God unless it be by God's Holy Spirit. So these people seem to have at one time been his, but then here obviously they're dying, and he's saying, you're, you're not mine, get out of here. So what Paul's saying here is 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourself, see if you're in the faith, unless you've been disqualified. Maybe you've even come to the Lord earlier in your life, but maybe you've walked away. Maybe you've walked away, you don't even know you've walked away. Maybe you've become deceived, right? Hebrews, I believe it's 12, 5 or, or 2, 1, I, I, 12, 1 or 2, 1. I can't remember which now off the top of my head, but, but the writer of Hebrews counsels and he says, hey, be careful, lest you drift away. Take, take, take heed upon the things you've heard, lest you drift away. Well, when you're in a boat and you fall asleep but you don't anchor, you don't really realize that you've drifted away until you wake up and you realize, whoa, wait a minute. Oh, I didn't drop my anchor. Holy camoly, where am I? I don't recognize any of these waters. I don't recognize. Oh, no. Well, maybe you've been disqualified. 
Maybe you've come and you don't even know you've backslidden, but you've backslidden to the point where you've backslidden yourself right out of the grace of God. Either way, God wants you to look underneath your own skin and ask yourself some biblical questions to be able to test yourself as to where you're at with Jesus Christ or if you're not with Jesus Christ. In a section of John, uh, 1 John, actually chapter 2, an epistle of John, 1 John chapter 2, John, the title is section, The Test of Knowing Him. And John writes, and these are all examples, these, these few examples that John gives here are all those that John gives of those that are right with the Lord. They're walking with the Lord. They're on the right path with the Lord. 1 John 2, 3 through 6, you judge yourself, and I'll just ask some simple questions. We're almost done. Now by this we know that we know him. This is why the title is title of this section is titled uh, The Test of Knowing Him. Now by this we know that we know him. Number one, if we keep his commandments. Jesus Christ gave commandments, you know. Jesus Christ gave things that he said that his children were supposed to do. Are you keeping his commandments? Verse 4 says, He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth's not in him. Do you even know what the commandments of Christ are? And are you keeping them in your life? Are you keeping Christ's commandments? That would be number one. Number two, verse 5, But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. Do you keep the word of the Lord Jesus Christ? What he said to do? Is that you? Is that how you pattern your life? Uh, whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. Again, who, whoever keeps his word, the words of Jesus Christ. And verse 6, number 3, He who says he abides in him also himself ought to walk just as Jesus or he walked. Do you follow Jesus Christ as a lifestyle? Do you follow Jesus Christ as a way of life? As so your ways are patterned after his ways. And do you keep his word, the word that is found in God's word, Jesus' words? In many New Testament Bibles, Jesus' words are in red. Are you a red-letter person? Would people that know you outside consider you a red-letter woman or a red-letter man? Meaning that that means that, hey, my life is lived by those red letters. Whatever Jesus Christ taught, that's what I live by, and those are the things that I strive to do. Is that you? Or do you live a life, oh, I believe in Jesus, oh, I love Jesus, I love Jesus, but then your life is consumed and lives in the ways that make you happy only. And that's how you live. You live to make yourself happy and satisfied, and you do all the things that you love, and you know you don't keep any of the ways that Jesus Christ said to live. And is, or, or, or maybe you go to church, you know, Easter, and uh, or maybe every Sunday, but you know you, you go there and you like to hear the word, but you love those donuts too, and you know it's it's a good word. That, that's good. It's really good. And then you go out, and then it's yourself again. You know, which one's you? If you find today that a follower of Jesus Christ doesn't fit your lifestyle, your ways, but you may have thought that you belong to Jesus Christ. I hate to tell you, but Jesus said, John just said, you're wrong. There's only one way that the Bible tells us to get saved, and that's through Jesus Christ. And there's only one way Jesus Christ told us to come through him to be his. Matthew 16, 24 and 25. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. That means you take yourself off the throne of your life and you let God rule in your life. You let Christ 
be your master and be your Lord. At your job, you have a boss. If that boss says something, you do it. Jesus Christ wants to be the boss of your life. He says, if I say this, to be saved, I want you to be mine. I got to be the Lord. I got to be God. It's, it's through me you get saved. You're not getting saved by your good works. You're not getting saved by your, you know, whatever you do, what you think you do. You're being a good person or whatever. You get saved through me. And my way is that you need to not be the God of your life. So you can't rule your life. I need to rule your life. That's number one. That's where we start. Then he says, you have to take up your cross and then you have to follow him. Most importance there is taking yourself off the throne and letting Jesus Christ be the one that rules your life and then making a decision to follow him. If your life is not surrendered to Jesus Christ and you're not abiding in him by faith, you're not keeping his word, which means that you're not practicing a lifestyle of acting and living in his ways and doing the things that he said to do, and, and, do, and not doing the things that he said not to do as a practiced way of life, then you're in trouble and you need to repent and you need to surrender to Jesus Christ today. Deny self, pick up cross, make a decision today to follow Jesus Christ and obey him. Uh, don't know where you're at with God. Don't know where you're at with Christ, but he does and you do now. If you're being honest with yourself, you can examine your life and if you can say, well, I don't even know how the Bible says to live or even what Jesus Christ said how to live. I just know that I love Jesus Christ. The Bible says you're deceived. Because you can't know, you can't love Jesus Christ truthfully as he says unless you do it his way. Well, I just believe that being, well, no, that's, see, that's you believe. Jesus Christ gave specific things that he said that it took to be his. And that had nothing to do what you, with what you think. Jesus Christ said, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself. Do it my way. Your way leads to hell, the Bible says. Jesus said, my way leads to life. So please, 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 please. God wants you in a beautiful relationship with him. And, and that only comes through Jesus Christ. And he said that only comes by turning to him in repentance. And that's the surrender of your life to him and deciding to follow him as the way he lived and the things that he said to do, making those your ways. Please turn to Jesus Christ today and believe on him and then surrender to him to make him your Lord. And don't just, just believe on him because the demons just believed upon him. They never, ever, ever wanted to follow him. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your word. Thank you so much, Lord God, for the lessons that we learned today. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your love. God, I pray, Lord God in heaven, please, that whether those that are listening are yours or not yours, Lord, I pray that the words that I spoke today would impact their lives greatly. Lord God, as this message has impacted my life greatly, Lord, they, they, many of them, so many of them, if not every one of them do for me, Lord, I pray that they would also impact all those that listen to them. And I pray, dear God, that the message, this message, your word, would change the life of the person that's listening. Thank you so much, Lord God. Either turn them to you or turn them back to you or help us to keep walking stronger in you and more and more and more like you. God, please, dear God, wherever we're at, make us a little bit more closer to you today or bring us to you so that we can be yours today. Thank you, Lord God. And we pray these things and ask them all in Jesus Christ's mighty name.
Amen.